Welcome to the final episode of season two for the Exploring the Core podcast. I'm your host, Greg Mullen. In this episode, I'll be wrapping up this second season by celebrating the work of two educators working internationally to promote the kinds of vision and tools that are right now changing education into the kind of schooling environment I've been talking about all season. For example, in the second half of this episode, I'll be sharing my conversation with Heather Cowup, an education consultant out of Lincoln, Massachusetts. She talks with me about UDL, Universal Design for Learning, but she is also incorporating an agile scrum project management approach into the classroom setting. And it's a serious game changer that for the past few decades has benefited industries and business and government and in the military and has finally found its way into the field of education. So I'm really excited to talk about that. But when I return, I'll be sharing the work of Fanny Passaport, who is in France working internationally to promote a vision for education that empowers schools to adopt and adapt a more flexible teaching and learning environment. And she does this through co-constructing a kind of learning ecosystem that benefits teachers as well as their students. So stick around as I celebrate these two leaders in education who are each promoting a vision for education that not only works, but also beautifully ties together the layers of my framework for who we are and how we learn. Fanny Passaport is an international education consultant and the founder of No Borders Learning. She has 11 years of teaching experience and 10 years as a director of teaching and learning and technology integration. She's also the co-author of a book called Stretch Yourself, a personalized journey to deepen your teaching practice which connects the practice of yoga and meditation to the world of education technology. One of the things I talked to her about is her philosophy, her vision for what learning is and what she believes schools can become. I had a website for a long time called No Borders Learning, or at least uh, that's uh, the title of the site, if not the domain. And it was all about this idea of limitless learning or, or of going beyond the what the system already proposes. And also it has another connotation, which is a more international kind of kind of word. So it has these two aspects, internationalism and more mostly, you know, the access to learning and the fact that it's everywhere and it's limitless and it's re remembering what learning is, how it takes place, how do we get this aha moment? And it doesn't have to be because someone sat down and wrote a benchmark about it, that you should be knowing this by that age. Like this is just going back to the core and that's why also the tagline is grow uh, within and beyond, that we have everything within ourselves and we, we can all learn and we are all competent and valuable and we have untapped potential. And I believe that the mission of a school should be to really ignite this and, and reveal and release this from individuals. But instead, what we do is we tend to actually put all those barriers and we limit the, the spark sometimes, or we kill it sometimes. So it's maybe um, a little uh, black and white right now, but it is kind of challenging the status quo for sure. 
to think outside the box, you need to first know what's inside the box. So you need to know schools. So then you can know how to deconstruct it and co-construct it in a way that's going to re-honor everyone in the system, not just the child also, but also the other stakeholders. I really liked the way Fanny described needing to understand a school in order to deconstruct it and co-construct something more flexible for its staff and students. It reminds me of the old saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because just as I talked about with Alexis Burgess earlier in this season, there are aspects of conventional schooling that are masterfully designed, which a smaller independent facility will inevitably struggle to develop, like the oversight and accountability that a school's front office has over the health and safety of hundreds of students on a school campus. That's amazing. But it's not the health and safety aspect of schools that we're talking about here. It's the structure we create for student learning that Fanny and I discuss. And I wanted to hear more about what led Fanny to this mission of helping schools improve the kind of structures that support this flexibility in her vision for no borders learning. From a French uh, ecosystem, uh, from a French system, education system, well, it's not at all the case because it's very traditional and still uh, now. Uh, so absolutely not. I got the opposite. Indeed, I got the "it's done to you" part. <laughs> it's very um, heavy on extrinsic motivation and control and grades and no rubrics for grades. You know, um, so it's it's not a fair uh, a fair system at all. It's very, um, you know, and they used to rank students and give like their grades uh, starting from the best to the to the worst grade and uh, humiliate and all of these things. So obviously it it has come through as because it's part of my story. It's kind of also a reaction or a response to this. Uh, and also the fact that I've been in very progressive schools as well, where I've seen the power of, uh, you know, mm. student agency and autonomy and how you really don't have to put so many barriers. You don't have to structure. The more you structure, the more people need structure. But if you don't, if you are more of a responsive teacher rather than of a planning, then it's it rolls. I mean, so I've been exploring this opposite uh, ideas and uh, I have found out that uh, this really is my mission is to try to bring these um, the awareness on these three essential needs from the self-determination theory it is so simple and every school can do it and you don't need any budget to do it you just need the intention so that's what I'm trying to do with learning ecosystems it was really interesting this idea that people need structure the more they create structure. Because I know a big part of Fanny's vision is the flexibility to adapt to the needs of the learners. And that it's important we stay focused on how much of our structure for learning we've come to depend on. And how much of that structure we might not be willing to change because of this dependency on that structure. It's a fascinating topic for any school to discuss. And I'm glad she's out there sharing this topic with schools around the world. I also like how she mentions the self-determination theory and how she coaches schools to create learning ecosystems. And as we talked about the three components of that theory, it reminded me of an earlier episode about trust as a value in education. 
because just as the self-determination theory is built on competence, autonomy, and relatedness, the three aspects of trust include competence, reliability, and caring. Well, as it turns out, these ideas are part of Fanny's online coaching program for teachers. And she talked a bit about the particular mindset shift that she's promoting to help schools reflect on their structures to deconstruct and co-construct a schooling environment based in part on this self-determination theory. Yeah, I think it's it's very much in the beginning of that particular course that we kind of unpack learning ecosystems and the why of it and why we need it. And uh, we did to touch all of these areas, especially some, I'm trying now to, to really formalize more of the shifts kind of, of mindset and action set that we have when we're moving from an ecosystem to an ecosystem. And again? I think it helps from an ecosystem to an ecosystem. E-G-O to E-C-O. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. Because I think we were talking about unit planners. Unit planners, again, are formats that's given to you that you need to fill out. It's a box you need to fill. And also, it doesn't really honor your the variability of teachers, if you think about it. Just like our learners, if we are designing uh, learning with UDL, for example, Universal Design for Learning for our students, then why are we not applying it for teachers? Why do we have to write a planner? I'm a dyslexic teacher. That does nothing to do with what I'm doing in the classroom. So I'm all for let's not do the obedient, standardized format for anything and just always kind of try to go back to if I value flexibility, teaching up, invitational education, efficacy, let's say for exercise the mind, then I'm going to model it. I'm going to have my teachers. I'm going to create the conditions for my teachers to show me how they can exercise our mind and exercise the minds of our young learners in the different ways because what matters is not that it all looks the same this planner but that all the learners are served and also that we have fun in the process <laughs> i appreciate how fanny says if we are designing learning with udl for students already because we know it's effective and it works why aren't we applying this same model to teachers and that point of reflection for schools is so important, especially when I think about the kinds of structures Fanny is looking to help schools talk about, to deconstruct and co-construct a more flexible, self-directed schooling environment. And I love that she mentions UDL because when I return, I'll be sharing another conversation with an educator actively promoting UDL in education, but is doing so in the context of a relatively new project management approach called Scrum. Heather Cowup is a curriculum consultant out of Lincoln, Massachusetts. She's been speaking at conferences and workshops promoting UDL, or Universal Design for Learning. Well, in my conversation with Heather, she describes UDL as being about removing barriers for learning. And I did find it fascinating how closely this aligned with my conversation with Fanny and her no borders learning perspective. But what I found most interesting about my conversation with Heather was how she kept coming back to something that I honestly hadn't heard about. And that was the connection of UDL to what's called an agile scrum 
approach to classroom management. I found this connection fascinating. And as I learned more about this Scrum approach, I began to see more and more how it connects to standards-based grading, to social emotional learning, and developing an inclusive learning environment. So the part of our conversation I'm excited to share first is Heather's response to my question about how exactly UDL and this Agile Scrum approach are connected. So the connection to Scrum and UDL is this. UDL is about saying to all 24 children sitting in front of you, I am giving you the freedom to path yourself to the learning. I'm providing you with supports and tools. I'm providing you with guidance. I will come by and we will talk. We will vote as a class if we need to have a lecture, right? But the number one freak out every teacher I've ever talked to about UDL before they start doing it is, I can't keep track of this. And I'm responsible for every one of those 24 kids passing state tests. So I can't do that. I can't let them go in 24 directions because it's an overwhelming amount of management, individual management in a finite amount of time, depending upon the length of your class and depending on how long you have those kids. And I taught in a block scheduled school. So I had a class for 83 minutes a day for one semester. And we did a full year of academics in that one semester. So you don't have a lot of wiggle room in teaching right. to do a lot of the soft skills, right? You know, and this is this is where people start complaining. They, they're like, well, I, you know, I have to get all this content in. I have to teach all this standard stuff because otherwise the kids aren't going to pass the test. I don't have time to do X, Y, Z. It's, but it's the same, it's the same freak out the parents are having. Mm -hmm. I'm responsible. My job sits on this. If the kids aren't proceeding at the level that my district expects from them and that the parents expect from them, my job is on the line. And so what's my response? I try to control, right? It's the same as the parents. Yeah. It's that same, like, I have to control this because it's the only way I can alleviate my anxiety. I can't just trust that I have the skills to, to weave the story of learning for kids to hear and learn, right? Mm -hmm. Like that I can't do that. And so, so what I say to them is, well, yeah, you, you can do that because I'm, Scrum is going to give you this really nice tool of structure that's going to allow you to achieve managing those 24 different directions. Right. When I originally did it, I did it with manila folders because it actually, in some ways, the, the technology is nice. I did try to, uh, doing this with Trello um, for some groups, but we don't have a one-to-one -one environment. So it became burdensome rather than helpful. And so we literally took manila folders and drew out in the middle of them our our to do, doing, and done lists. Mm -hmm. Kids could store their work in them um, and then file them. So I could go check them whenever I could. And I spent my time, I used to log 5,000 steps a day in my classroom alone because I spent my time in small groups and one-on-one and -on -one with the kids. A lot of teachers and school administrators are familiar with UDL as a well-known approach that's very often part of what schools call a multi-tiered system of supports or MTSS, and schools use MTSS 
to create an equitable and inclusive learning environment for all of their students. But Scrum, that's something new. And I wanted to know, first of all, how Heather came to discover this approach and how she connected it to her work with UDL. Well, as it turns out, there's a series of speakers and books that have crossed her path over the years, each of which presenting a particular emphasis toward the mindset responsible for her connecting UDL and Scrum. In my Quantum 10 presentations, I talked a little bit about um, the one, there are, there are like three major factors that really kicked and clicked for me around the mindset. Okay. One is a story from Franklin, uh, from Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. And he talks about one of his eight kids, one in the middle, that for whatever reason, as he puts it, quote unquote, for whatever reason, my wife and I always did more for him than we did for the rest. And he said, I walked into his room one day when he was around 10 or 11 years old and his clean laundry is sitting on his bed and it hasn't been put away. And I'm like, why didn't you put your laundry away? And the kid's like, I don't know how to. And he's like, whoa, wait, like, how did that happen? So, okay, <laughs> how to put your laundry away because all the other kids knew how to put their laundry away. So like, why did this, like, why did they skip over this kid? He doesn't really explain what's different maybe about this child versus the other children. He just says, so I taught him how to put his laundry away. And I said, you know, from now on, you should be putting your laundry away. And he said, and I walked out and I said to my wife, like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> he missed something. Yeah. But like, like he's like, you know, we need to stop this because he's capable. So we need to stop this. And so he said, we had a rough month. <laughs> We had a rough month. Right. We discovered a lot of learning gaps in that month. But at the end of the month, he sat down with his son and he said, so what did you think? And this is the whole, this was the, this is the magic light bulb moment. Sure. What did you think that mom and dad did all these things for you that we didn't do for the other kids? And the kid's response was, I thought you thought or knew that I wasn't capable of doing this. So that was a big shift. Like that was a, ooh, that's, that is not what mom and dad think their child is thinking. They think I'm helping him out. I'm making this happen faster. And when I put that in the context of a teacher being a teacher in a high performing school district with parents who have high expectations, because like many high performing districts, all of these kids are magically only going to be attending Ivy League schools after high school. Um, there's a lot of that behavior. Now, that aha moment that Heather talked about is a really good one because it highlights something deeper than simply deciding which management approach a classroom teacher is or is not using. It really gets at something that I actually talked a little bit about in an earlier episode with Allison Dillard about anxiety in students and how it can stem from a lack of trust. And not just in the teacher and student relationship, but the trust a student develops in themselves. Well, as Heather and I continued chatting about UDL and education, she brought up another book that highlights how anxiety is rooted in our need for autonomy as people, as well as professionals, which is hugely connected to this trust as a value, and not just in how we want students to have autonomy, but how we also want teachers and our parents and our administrators 
to trust each other with what is ultimately the goal of coaching students to become the kind of people who are successful in a career or college setting. And it's an idea that I think Heather does a really great job of explaining. And one of the huge things that we deal with in the school district is anxiety, intense student anxiety. And the book, Indistractable by Niels Ayer, talks about where does this anxiety come from? And anxiety comes in from, part from lack of autonomy. Because then there's this sense of, I'm trying to hit some random target that I'm not really sure where it is. And I don't feel like I have the control over getting to that target, right? So you start putting this all together and then you put that into UDL and you get the mind shifts that teachers need to have is my role as a teacher is to support every kid figuring out how to hit the target. Because if I'm doing it for you, I'm telling you you're not capable, right? That's the Stephen Covey message. If I'm doing it for you, I'm telling you you're not capable of doing this. You can't do this independently. It's hard to put into words because people don't consider it, right? Like when I, any communication I had with parents I had a little blanket paragraph that I would throw in at the end that said, thank you for bringing this to my attention. I will address it with your child and we will come up with an action plan. We, yes. We, we, me and the child will come up with an action plan. We'll let you know what that is. We will let you in. As we know, (laughs) an objective of high school is to develop self-autonomy yeah. In our students. I never had a parent disagree with that statement. Now, as a classroom teacher who was taught in elementary and middle school classrooms for public and charter school districts, I am familiar with the range of administrators and parents who are dedicated to making sure a student succeeds at any cost. And that includes the cost, sometimes, of the trust we place in each other. And what this really comes down to is the idea of management and accountability. Because just as trust is a belief in a person's competence, reliability, and care for each other, as Fanny mentioned earlier, the self-determination theory also builds on this competence and relatedness and autonomy. So with schools placing such a strong emphasis on a goal-oriented, standards-based model for education, which I happen to believe in strongly, It is then that much more critical that we have a shared understanding and a shared language for the vision and the tools that build that trust and accountability. And I really like how Heather gets at this point in our conversation with how she incorporates Scrum into her philosophy. But the other piece of it is, is the only way that you can relieve that anxiety is by giving people tools on how to manage this, right? And that's the piece where I moved into Agile and using like Scrum, because Scrum gives you a communication model that makes it very easy for everyone to communicate and manage accountability for what you're supposed to be doing. And you hear about it. I mean, the the book for me that kicked this off was um, the first book, uh, Scrum, How to Do Twice as Much in Half the Time, because like 
any teacher in the world. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Please. Yeah. That sounds like exactly what I need. Right. <laughs> you know? And at the end of that book, Jeff Sutherland makes mention of a uh, Dutchman, uh, Willie, and I kill his last name every time I see it, uh, Willie Wilnajda, who founded something called Edu Scrum. Now, Willie today says, I don't believe in Edu Scrum. I believe in agile mindset. So <laughs> it's this shit. After I spoke with Heather, I realized that while I had a good handle on UDL, I didn't really know what this scrum approach for management or this agile mindset was all about. So I went out and I read the book, Scrum by Jeff Sutherland. And I quickly discovered that what this management approach is all about is so closely aligned with how I've been adapting my own classrooms to be more self-directed and how I coach students as early as third grade on how to work in groups to achieve specific goals or standards and help each other track their progress toward proficiency using rubrics which they're coached to talk about with each other, all of which is based on their own understanding of their depth of knowledge in whatever concept or skill they choose to learn about in whatever time period. Now, after reading the book, Heather mentioned Scrum by Jeff Sutherland, I can understand how teachers have begun calling Scrum the new Montessori, and I know that's a big claim, but with educators like Heather Kaup celebrating and promoting this approach in combination with universal design for learning, and then when I think of the vision Fanny Passaport describes with her no borders learning and how thinking outside the box requires that you know what's in the box first in order to deconstruct and then co-construct something better. And I just can't help but think about how educators like Heather and Fanny, leaders who are out there looking to have these kinds of conversations and help schools create meaningful and productive change so they can help students learn how to learn all in order to create a more self-directed schooling environment. Now, for those who would love to learn more about Heather Cowup and her work, you can find her on LinkedIn, but also through her work with the One Planet Education Network and also on her website at sciedscrumming.com. You can also learn more about Fanny Passapore via LinkedIn, but also by visiting her website, noborderslearning.com. And I'll include both websites for both guests in the show notes. Now, as I bring this episode to a close, I'd like to revisit one final time the idea I introduced at the start of this second season, the idea of capturing a rainbow. Because the visions and tools for change discussed in this episode are not enough by themselves to make the kind of meaningful change to the education that we want to make. The topics and all of the people throughout this second season are all part of an environment that ultimately shares in the responsibility for that metaphorical rainbow. So the question to ask is not how this episode answers all the questions we might have, but how the ideas presented in this episode connect with the ideas in the others to help give us a better understanding of ourselves as individuals, as communities of and for learning, and that by having conversations with other educators, parents, students, and community members 
about these layers of this larger framework, we can share in a language and understanding that's helpful for improving us as individuals as well as our various communities, both big and small, locally and globally. So I hope you've enjoyed the second season and I thank you for listening.